These are not just numbers on a page. As with the millions of jobs lost in 2008, these are working men and women whose families uh, have been disrupted and whose dreams have been put on hold. Hi, and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Adam Davidson in New York. And I'm David Kestenbaum in Washington, D.C. Today is Monday, January 26th. Today we're going to take a look at how the financial crisis is playing out in Russia. But let's start with another country. In fact, today, David, as a Planet Money First, our Planet Money indicator is not a number. It is an entire nation. Iceland. Iceland is embodies this crisis in, in a way that no other country does. It, it's banks benefited hugely from the global bubble and subprime lending and other uh, exotic economic derivatives. And by the time the bubble burst, their banking sector was much bigger than the Icelandic economy, the whole economy of the country. Which was, means the government can't easily fix things. The right? government can't fix things, right. Uh, the The government was already hugely in debt, far more than, far, far more than the U.S. is. And um, these big banks, which were becoming major centers of, of banking for Europe, broadly speaking, uh, were way too big for the government to do anything. So the government called up the International Monetary Fund, which came to the rescue. They they promised a $2.1 billion loan, but that just wasn't enough. Uh, the, this imbalance, this debt made the Icelandic currency, the krona, plummet. Everything is more expensive to buy. Iceland, Icelanders um, have been facing inflation around 17%. Companies that can't afford to buy imports and can't afford to pay their employees have, have laid people off. Their unemployment is well up around 14%, almost double hours. Wow. And uh, we've been seeing protests and people marching on the parliament. And the news today is that Prime Minister Geir Harda announced that his cabinet is going to step down. And I was actually reading on the BBC that people had surrounded his car, I guess, last week, were banging on the windows and pelting it with eggs. And I can actually say that Geir Harda is, I think, the only sitting prime minister that I've actually met. I uh or formerly sitting prime minister. I met him a few months ago. He was in New York on a trip actually to reassure markets and tell them everything's fine in Iceland. How did he seem? He, he, he certainly has a very pleasant presence. He went to school in the U.S., actually at Johns Hopkins, based in your hometown of Baltimore, um, and also at University of Minnesota. And uh, he kind of has this Garrison Keillor look to him, uh -huh. although he's a little shorter. And he's, he's a folksy. Yeah, yeah, he's a big NPR fan, he said. Uh, and he, he has a sense of humor. He's a funny guy. He's also a professional economist. And now he's out of a job. He says he's stepping down, uh, we should say, for health reasons. Um, but this basically clears the way for a new, a new government. And so we wanted to find out what it's like on the streets of Iceland right now. So uh, our Laura Conaway, she called Bjorn Malmquist, who's a reporter with Icelandic National Broadcasting. I can buy milk bread next. But it's more expensive than it used to be. I mean, it's way more expensive to go shopping for groceries. Uh, you know, and not to mention, you know, you know, books and, 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 you know, all that stuff. It's just ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I was, I was, I mean, I went to the bookstore the other day and I, and I, uh, I just saw that they had a new book by John Grisham, you know, and, uh, you know, it used to cost like 2,500, maybe 3,000 kronos, Icelandic. Now it was like 4,700. And it was just, what? <laughs> you know, what's going on? So, uh, you know, people are, people are consuming less than, Less and less here, over here. 
I mean, they are basically using their money money for for necessities. Have you seen protests there on a regular basis in the last few weeks? Have I seen protests? Yeah. What are the streets like? Well, I can tell you that I was uh, I was reporting on a on a protest that was uh, going on Wednesday night. Uh, uh, Wednesday evening, Thursday night of last week. And that was probably the worst protest that has been here since the beginning. Uh, it was, it was, it started out peacefully. It started out, you know, as a spirited protest. Uh, uh, people were banging pots and pans and drums and, and you know, chanting uh, slogans against the government, against the institutions, against the politicians. But as the night wore on, uh, it became more violent, more aggressive, uh, you know, police in riot gears, people hurling themselves on the policemen's shields, throwing rocks and stones towards them, uh, axe and, 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 and other stuff. Uh, and it, it was, I mean, it ended in front of the prime minister's residence at three in the morning uh, with sort of like, you know, drunken people just screaming obscenities and 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 people pushing them. I mean, I mean the police pushing them away, and uh, nobody actually was arrested, which was remarkable. Two policemen were were uh, actually close to ten. Ten policemen were were taken to the to the ER. Uh, they had they had hurt themselves, but uh, it was it was ugly. It was vicious. I have, I've never seen this in Iceland before. Bjorn, who's out there in these protests? College kids? Well, during the mass demonstrations we've seen in the weekends, like on Saturdays, we have, I mean, and these are, by the way, peaceful, you know, organized, orderly demonstrations in front of the parliament. You have all kinds of people. I mean, young, old, you know, families with kids, college students, workers, uh, intellectuals, um, people from the colleges, all kinds, I mean, all kinds of people, really. Um, but, you know, during the ugly protests, which which I was referring to, you have younger people, um, and, you know, part of them are not really demonstrating against any issues that are going on. They're just, you know, looking for a fight with the police. Um Basically, damaging the cause of the of the of the mass demonstrations that are that are going on here. Okay, I have another indicator for you. It is twenty four degrees. That is the temperature in Moscow, and the weather forecast there it's calls warmer for, than New York. Yeah, warmer than New York. But here, the weather forecast it calls for light, freezing drizzle and mist. Ugh. Which you know, it's better than the stock market, which is down more than seventy five percent. I'll say that again: seventy five percent since this summer. It's it's kind of fun for us to look at Russia because it's it's sort of an extreme version of what we've been going through. And I know what we've been going through is pretty extreme. Everything went to hell there, like it went to hell here. Banks totally shaken, a huge government bailout. But it it's not exactly the same, right? It, it's sort of like a weird – there's a weird parallel universe because, for instance, the media until recently did not use the uh, C word, the crisis word. And I learned this from talking to Andrei Ilarionov. He used to be economic advisor to Vladimir Putin when he was president. And Ilarionov, when I talked to him, had just gotten off a plane from spending a month in Russia. He now works down the street here at the Cato Institute. And he said it was really strange to be there and to listen to the news reports and not not hear the word crisis. 
just it was uh, impossible to use the word crisis in in mass media. The government the government didn't use it, or they really said you can't use it. First several months, there were the very clear instructions to the mass media outlets. Do not use the word crisis. They suggested that, okay, so Russia happened to be on the impact of international financial crisis, or as they like to say, on the impact of American financial crisis. But Russia itself was a safe haven, the place for stability, uh, island of stability, something like that. I was emailing with Greg Pfeiffer, our correspondent in Russia, who told me the same thing. And you can understand the desire to just kind of hope this whole thing would go away, because... Well, the thing you have to understand is that the Russian economy has been on this incredible, incredible run for basically the last 10 years. Russian economy started to grow on average 7% per year, actually produced spectacular doubling uh, GDP within 10 years. That must have been a great time to be in Russia, and people must have just been euphoric. Absolutely. If you look into uh, GDP or incomes or revenues in dollar terms, it would be even more dramatic because it was not 7% per year. It was 25% per year, 10 years in a row. That is absolutely stellar behavior. Actually, in the history of the economic growth over the last several decades, it is really one of the best performance ever recorded for the countries of such size. And it was bigger when you count it in U.S. dollars because the ruble was getting stronger. Or? Correct. So that is why, if you some kind of, you have, if you have your income uh, increasing by twenty five percent a year, every year within ten years, that's a really good time to be in the country. Ilarionov says people really thought they were in some sort of new magic time. People began to trust banks. They stopped hiding cash in their house, and people started to use the ruble. Maybe not in big business contracts, but on a daily basis, it was actually becoming a real currency. He has a funny story about that. Uh, a few months ago, I've been to the Tokyo airport, just leaving uh, Japan. And to my surprise, I found that in the list of the currencies that you can trade and you can exchange freely, uh, along with the U.S. dollar, along with uh, euro, along with some other currencies, you'll find uh, Russian ruble. And why was that not the case before? Because people were worried about inflation or worried the right. government wouldn't back it up? Yeah, the, the, well, first of all, uh, there was no really good credit history. The Russian ruble was not convertible currency since uh, early 1920s. So that is why there are no many people around who remember the times when Russian ruble was convertible. So things were going really well. And then this summer, things went very badly. It's unclear exactly why. Some mix of the global crisis and domestic problems in Russia. But the stock market plunged. Banks that everyone thought were solid turned out not to be. And still, the media did not talk about a Russian crisis. When Ilarionov was over there, the government released some new economic numbers. And those numbers don't usually get widely circulated. Ilarionov looked through them and found they were really, really bad especially in some parts of the industrial sector. In just the previous five months, machine building, for instance, had plunged 29%. In the chemical uh, industry, it has declined by 30%, and in steel industry, it's declined by 40% over five months. So that's a pretty substantial decline of activity. What did you think when you did that analysis and saw that? Uh, just It's the first time in uh, our history we have seen such numbers. 
for such short, such short period of time, such a fast decline in activity, the first time in the history of the country. He says the last time industrial output declined anything like that was when they were partially occupied by German troops during World War II. Ilarionov decided he needed to publicize the numbers, so he went to a radio station. The only radio that um, relatively free in the country, which is called Echo Moskvi, and we had a talk over there. It happened to be the most uh, frequently looked uh, information among all others. And you used the C word, you used the crisis word. Definitely, yes. And since then, a couple of days or three days later, the prime minister said, okay, so now we need to deal with the crisis. So, and after that, okay, everybody's using this word crisis. Greg Pfeiffer, our correspondent in Russia, says everyone he's talked to in the past few months, from top politician to janitor, believes the country is headed for some kind of massive transformational crisis. Now, transformations can be good or bad. Ilarionov says the last crisis led to lots of good economic reforms, but he worries this time things are going to go backward. Greater government control, more monopolies, less democracy, less transparency. He says they still don't have real elections. There isn't really a functioning court system. And even if you just wanted to mind your own business and start your own business, he says you could have problems. Even, for example, you are an entrepreneur and you are some kind of, you decide, okay, so just I would not like to deal uh, with all these authorities, with all those courts and so on. I just, I'd like to, to do my business, okay? But at some point, you would find people from the uh, some kind of police or from tax authorities would come to your company and say, okay, it looks like you're pro- producing a lot of cash. Uh, it's better if you would some kind of share this cash with us. Or if you are especially successful, so just, okay, probably it's better if you would give your shares to us. And if you try to complain, so that is why you can find yourself is in jail or in even worse situation. I should add that the Russian government says it is doing everything necessary to handle the financial crisis. Ilarionov worries they have been slow to appreciate the scope of things, though you could probably say that about the United States as well. Thanks, David. That was excellent. Okay, I think that does it for us here today on Planet Money. Check out our blog at npr.org slash money to see real-world indicators sent in by listeners like you or to add your own. I'm David Kestenbaum. And I'm Adam Davidson. Thank you for listening. I came to this world with nothing And I leave with nothing but love Everything else is just for us on a notice, chances I've passed without notice. I wanna see details previously vowed. I wanna grab that chance, carry it home, so I can marry and know that I noticed every chance I could have passed without notice. I saw details that to all be veiled, and I grabbed those chances, carried them home.